and welcome back everybody to another edition of the Double Double here on KLJX LP Flagstaff. I'm your host Noah Butler and we're in for a scary, scary evening. Happy Halloween everybody. Tonight we're going to start off with what could have been talk about World Series Game 3, but the game got postponed today. Coming into Philadelphia, tied series 1-1 to between the Houston Astros and the Philadelphia Phillies. One to one. I didn't really think I. I mean, I thought the Phillies would start out knocking, and that comeback in Game One it really set the tone. No, that Game One they had a huge comeback. JT Real Muto using his bat in the tenth inning to propel the Phillies past the Astros in Houston to uh, gain an early advantage. Game One pretty much evening up the series with three games remaining left in Houston following that and three games remaining in Philadelphia with the Phillies in advantage. Just an absolute shot. Finished that game two for four with three RBIs and a run on the home run. Just a great performance, and uh, that's exactly what the Phillies needed in game one to get out to a get the early jump on the series because this is a tough Astros team. We know they have very tough pitching, but Verlander... Just tough outing in that game. Didn't put on the performance I'm sure the Astros were expecting out of him. But, Nate, what did you see out of uh, the Phillies in Game 1 and Game 2 early on in the series? Yeah, you uh, you were right uh, by saying that it was important for the Phillies to take, uh, take one of those first games. Houston's a really good team, and Philly, they, they, they kept that momentum going. Uh, and we were talking a little bit before the show, but going back to Philly with already a game under your belt and you can treat those three games in Philly as just a brand new series you know just win maybe try to win two out of three or even just take the momentum you have at home and sweep it there I mean that would be amazing for the city of uh, Philadelphia no it'd be huge but unfortunately that game three tonight postponed like we said due to weather according to Philly's beat writer for the athletic Matt Jelb game three for Philly was Delayed but not postponed in the World Series in 1993, 2006, and 2009. This year in 2022, 13 years later, a full postponement as we're not playing until Tuesday, which shifts the series around a little bit. Now Tuesday and Wednesday, or sorry, yeah, Tuesday and Wednesday going to be played. Tuesday, Wednesday, and and Thursday Thursday, in Philly before Friday travel day back to Houston for Saturday and Sunday, if necessary, if the Phillies aren't able to take each of these home games or the Astros the other way around. Yeah, no, I, I mean, as Nate and I were talking about earlier, we were saying that the Phillies should treat this series as if it were own mini-series. And I was kind of saying, like, maybe like it's a regular season series. Obviously, it's not. It's the highest level in baseball. It's the World Series. But, like, if you have that mindset that you just want to sweep a, a other league team, then go with that mindset and you have the fans behind you and the momentum. If they cannot allow the Astros to score five runs in the first three innings, like they have the first two games, then I I think the Phillies are walking away with this. I mean, Houston's pitching has been spectacular, but the Phillies offense, like we've been saying this whole time, it's just been rolling. And I nod your head there, Nate. I mean, yeah, I, if, even if they, even if they don't sweep three, even if they just, find a way to take two uh, back home. The Philly team, have, they've been so hot recently that if they they can just keep that momentum going and all you need to win is one game in Houston, which is a lot less dunning than having to go in there and, you know, 
come back uh, down a couple games. But, yeah, if, if they can just keep that momentum going, it'd be big for them. Yeah, I mean, like you guys said, splitting that 1-1 in Houston early on is going to be huge for them down the stretch here. But that being said, they did. Their offense stalled out a little bit in that last game. Zach Wheeler got off to a rough start on the mound, allowed five runs early, only four of those earned. But that being said, just really sloppy performance from a guy who's supposed to be able to carry a lot of the load for this rotation in terms of one of those arms that goes deeper into games and uh, takes the weight off your bullpen later in games. But a poor performance from him put them down early, and the offense was unable to rally like they were the night before and just shut down. They lose that game. Um, I believe it was 5-2 to two Houston. Just a tough loss there. And... If you're Philly, you have to feel like you have to recapture that energy in night one or Houston's going to start rolling with it, getting back-to-back games, especially getting one in Philly. So I think game three tomorrow is going to be huge in determining the series and it's going to put whichever team falters a little bit deeper in the hole. But that being said, it's just uh, anybody's series at this point and neither team really giving too much way one way or the other. And uh, just to hop in there, Lance McCullers starting game three for Houston. So, at, again, it's going to be very difficult for uh, for Philly to come back. McCullers has been a really good postseason pitcher. Uh, you know, uh, ERA under three so far this postseason. So, they a, a lot of tough pitching. Nah, that's huge, having an under three ERA in postseason. I mean, it's a solid mark during the regular season. Yeah, I mean, the best pitchers, you'd like to see them down trying to get to that 2.5-ish mark. But that being said, postseason pitching, when you're facing offenses that know they have to be on, every team is good once you've reached this point in the season. There's no slacking teams, really. So just, <laughs> as he Noah makes a face there, but just... You know you have to be on, and so for the pitcher to have under three ERA there is just a huge mark for postseason play. Yeah, like you said, like you were saying about teams really slacking on offense. That we obviously saw that in the ALCS, and I was saying back way then, if the Yankees could get on Verlander, then they might have a shot. They did not. The Phillies were able to in Game One, down five zero, and then they just lit lit them up got him taken out early Verlander has the worst ERA in the World Series throughout like seven starts I think it's like a, over a six ERA which is awful which is tough he had a I believe a 1.75 ERA during the regular season this year so to come in in the postseason and just really blow a, a vital game in game one of the World Series is just a really tough I mean loss in look for the Houston Astros rotation and I mean if they get back around to him in that lineup, he's going to need to be dealing his best in order to make up for that. And if you're the Astros, though, you have to be be expecting that a little bit, a bounce-back game. You can't – back-to-back performances like that isn't something we've really seen out of Verlander this season in what's been a resurgent year for him and for his career. I think so much uh, – maybe a key for Houston staying on top of Philadelphia is competing with their bats. And we know Houston has definitely has the offensive capabilities, but maybe we've seen a little bit throughout these playoffs. Uh, they've uh, to, to to put another point in their pitching. Their pitching has been really good, and uh, they haven't been putting up maybe as many runs as they could. Uh, and we've seen throughout these playoffs that Philly can really put up runs. So 
if if Houston might find themselves in a situation where they may just have to out hit the Phillies, and that that might turn out to be a be a big test for them. I think so too. That I mean, yeah. Say what you want about the the pitching of the Astros, which has definitely been their strong suit and their defense. Their hitting has not been as much of the Houston Astros as we've seen. I mean, they've put up runs when they needed them, especially like back in the the divisional series against the Mariners, where they put up pretty much eight unanswered runs um, to win that game. They put up big amounts of runs when they need to, when they're down and in tight situations, but. I don't know. Yeah, if, if we're talking about simply out-slugging Philadelphia, I don't know. It's going to be a lot closer than we think if it's just a slugfest because Bryce Harper and Schwarber have been on monumental tears, and Schwarber has been going, I don't know, he's just been crazy this postseason. And as he showed in um, Game 1, Real Muto isn't nothing to shrug at either there at the catcher spot, providing power to that lineup in you're right. It is a it's a consistency issue for Houston. They um just need to be able to string hits together. Like right now, most of their offensive production in this series have either come off the long ball or extra base hits. This is a team that hits for really high average, and when they have a lot of solid hitters in the lineup, so when they're able to string walks and hits together, they're able to score runs in abundance. But they haven't really found a way to do that they haven't been attacking their normal methodical way this series so far it's been a lot of spurt shots against some of the Phillies pitchers but that being said it's gonna it's gonna require them really getting into a groove and really finding consistency throughout I mean likely their entire lineup if they're going to pull it out against the Phillies in this year's World Series because it seems like the Phillies just have that little extra October energy on their side, the little postseason magic going for them that um, I feel like encapsulates some teams that maybe on paper coming into postseasons don't look like they're going to do much. As I said uh, at the beginning of this postseason that I thought the Phillies were the worst team in the playoffs and the most likely to be two and done or swept in their first series. But that being said, now here they are, and they feel like they have all the makings going for them to be a World Series team, as long as they could figure it out in Game 3 coming up. Yeah, and the Phillies, they've they've kind of beat the better opponents in this postseason so far, too. They've uh, ran through what, the Braves and the Padres, uh, and if I'm not mistaken, those are... No, San Diego had 89 wins, but still, two two very high-winning teams... And not not to be unfair to Houston, uh, they're still a great ball club, even without the cheating. But uh, I mean, still they they beat they beat a Mariners team who was at that point was kind of just happy to be there, and then they also beat a Yankees team who was booing their uh, their own offense in in their home stadium. So Philly has definitely kind of had the the better postseason experience just because they've actually gotten the wins that many people may not have expected them to get and maybe Houston will uh, will be the trifecta. I mean, it would be monumental if so. Yeah, that going to that, yeah, the the Phillies really had like they were dealt the hot hand. The Braves were coming all the way back from from the NL East deficit against the Mets and they're springing into the postseason like, yeah, we're going to repeat and look at that. And then they go into San Diego, who knocked off two of the top winning teams in the NL and their heated division rivals. 
I mean, the Phillies have a lot less to prove, I think, here than the Astros. Like, I feel like the Phillies are the team that's happy to be here at this point, but they know they can win. Like, the Mariners, they were happy to be there, but, like, they didn't know if they were going to win or not. And every game in that series was too close. Like, decided by three runs in total. The and Astros, some, they wanna, beat teams that they were expected back on. to We were win. talking about earlier. Uh, what, you, mentioned, you mentioned a, did are. you say 23-9? and nine? I think all twenty one and nine. Twenty one and nine all time the Phillies are at uh Citizens Bank uh in, in, in the playoffs. That's I'm so I'm th- we're i we haven't even mentioned how, how big of a difference that uh that home field might make for them and especially like in, in baseball we've seen in history that it is very can be very difficult for an away team uh to to come out and steal some games. So yeah, that that Philadelphia crowd could make a huge difference. I'm I'm really excited to see what that stadium looks like. Kind of disappointing that that, that game was postponed. Um, just because that's I mean that's, that's that's such a beautiful baseball city, mm-hmm. and there I'm I'm excited to see uh, see how they come out for for these next couple games. I mean yeah, just the monumental nature that is Philadelphia sports fandom. The just absolute colossal embodiment that they have as a collective fan base in that city is just crazy and so for them to be back in a championship setting similar to the Super Bowl a couple years ago and just ready to go but this time get to show up as home fans it's a it's gonna be special and that stadium's gonna be rocking for uh, game three as as an Arizona sports fan personally I'm very jealous of like a team like Philly because that their their teams there are so good right now, like they're having almost the best of luck and those fans just kind of like ride off each other, and they that that kind of like m- makes a championship possible. So as as we talk about it, like I'm kind of talking myself more into I I might like the Phillies a little bit more than than I did earlier. Um, just because, like, I'm, I couldn't fully see them sweeping these next three. It would, it would probably be a shock to a lot of a lot of people in the baseball world. But it that that would be a great story. And for anyone who is still uh, any any bit uh, mad at the Astros for for <laughs> for their prior engagements, then it it would be even better to see them only get one win uh, out of this World Series. Oh, I totally agree with you. Yeah, the Phillies. On, the Phillies were not really on the top of my really likable teams just because the fans in Philly are, like, rowdy. But as I've seen a lot more of them and how, I don't know, Phillies, yeah, Philly's definitely become more of the city of brotherly love lately. And I don't know, I'm excited to, I'm excited to see how, how things turn out in these next three games. Yeah, well, with that, are we, um, I think, uh, hashed everything we really can. Yeah. This series goes through the rest of the week, obviously. If needed, a uh, Game 7 happening on Sunday in Houston. That being said, we ready for some final predictions for this year's World Series? Yeah. Noah, starting with Go you. Go for it. All right. Yeah, I mean, home field advantage. If they take two of three like we've been saying, I got Philly in six. You know, I just because I I love the randomness and, like, Cinderella stories in baseball, I'm, I'm going to say Philly in five. I think... It's, it, it'll it'll definitely be tough. They really need to get to find a way to get to the Houston pitching early, and kind of tire out the bullpen as well, because that bullpen's an issue as well. But hey, man, if uh, if if Harper if Harper can live up to that contract and if Schwarber can keep hitting bombs, then then Philly's gonna take this. 
And not to just all be on the same side here, obviously. I think we're all going to go with a different number of games on this one, however. I think Houston puts up a good fight. I think some of their top stars figure it out. And I think they put this Philly team on the ropes in, by winning game six in Houston. Philly's going to have to step up. And in a huge game seven moment, I think one of those stars that we're talking about, either Real Muto, Harper, is going to have to step up and pull off a big shot to push the Phillies over the Astros. But I think they can get it done in seven. But I think it will be seven for that series. Remuto's the only like power, like right-handed guy. Schwarber and Harper are both lefties, right? Yeah. yeah. Hey, yeah. Sh- short, short porch in Houston. So it's uh, looking looking good for JT. It's not as short as Yankee Stadium, but. <laughs> <laughs> and you felt that one last series. I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, we're on to the World Series now. Only champions are allowed to be talked about here, Noah. <laughs> can't talk about it either man all right well we're gonna move on over to the nba after that little drubbing um yeah the nba this season it's been off to a interesting start to say the least the trailblazers are still at the top of their division led by damian lillard who is still having an mvp type campaign and i know i was talking last week about how he's kind of like russell wilson and the fact that they have mvp type campaigns at the beginning of the season russell wilson's obviously not having that kind of campaign but Damian Lillard still is and this team is showing it now Dame is a player that I thought could be huge for Portland and really propel them to like bigger success than what they had ever since he hit that a uh, shot from near um, half court in that playoff game a couple years ago banking it from long distance and I think uh, I think that was to put cap his night with 54 in that game or something like that or close to that but it was a huge playoff performance from him and since that moment that was kind of my introduction to watching Dame on television and not just over the Twitter timeline and really seeing the way that he impacts an entire game for his team and with that I thought that he's going to be the guy to bring the Trailblazers to that next level for a while now I thought I thought that they weren't doing enough to surround him but it seems like a little one-two punch with Anthony Simmons as he's Glown up a little bit here as his careers progress, obviously former dunk champion. But that being said, just obviously five and one now. We're only six games into the season, and you don't want to overact. We have a 82-game stretch ahead of us. It's going to be tough. It's going to be long, and some teams are going to deal with injuries. Some teams are going to falter out. Some teams are going to get figured out. But that being said, right now with the Trailblazers out in front, even leading the Suns in terms of standings, 5-0 and in the conference, I mean, if you're a Portland fan, you couldn't be happier with your start to the season. And I think that quietly that they are going to continue to stay a threat throughout the season and possibly pose threat to the top realm of the Western Conference when it comes playoff time, being with the Grizzlies, Suns, and um, whichever teams may figure out their way to the top, obviously. The Warriors 3-4 and four right now, but doubt they'll end up that low for much longer. I mean, yeah, the, the Western Conference is, I mean, it's early in the season, like, like we said, but it's, it's just a middle. In the middle, it's just tight right now, obviously. Um, we're still learning things about teams. Teams are still molding together, getting that chemistry with, obviously, there's new players on a whole lot of different teams. So as we move forward, I think we'll start to see, and we will start to see 
more of a rounded out and what we kind of expected the Western Conference to, to look like. Like, I don't think the Jazz are going to be the four seed forever, neither the Spurs. Um, those are two very surprising teams that I see here in the standings. But, yeah, no, as we, as we see chemistry shake out and players and teams start to really build together, then we'll, we'll, we'll see what we thought the Western Conference was going to look like. I mean, the Eastern Conference last year was very top-heavy, but also everyone in that playoff field was tight. But this year, and I felt like last year as well, the Western Conference, there's more volatility. There's more question marks. There's more, um, I guess, just uncertainty throughout the conference as a lot of teams don't have solid long-standing identities with their current makeups and so Nate that I guess leaves you with this question um like where do you see the Western Conference this year as opposed to the East do you think it has the same talent level and how do you think it sorts itself out after I mean we've gotten to see about a week's two weeks worth of games now six games into the year yeah, you guys are so right. The The Eastern Conference is a little bit more top-heavy, but the, yeah, that Western Conference could could go anywhere. I mean, even there's there's teams with good talent that like haven't shaped up yet. I, I know I don't know I know you have been interested in uh, Minnesota. I mean they have they have a lot of good young talent that just hasn't or not even not even so much young talent, but just talent in general who if they can get together maybe get be a little bit more cohesive maybe they can make a run memphis still really good phoenix has question marks on uh, you know they're playing really well looks like they're doing good but they still have question marks on where they can improve in like and uh, like the four or five spot so the western conference definitely definitely has more questions than, than the east for sure but that being said i know we're talking about minnesota a little bit here but i just random thought I just had. It feels like Minnesota always has a shuffling tier of guys around Carl Anthony Towns always, but it's always Carl Anthony Towns. That's that, that center guy. You guys pay more attention to like storylines and what's going on around the league and whatnot more than I do a little bit. You guys will know a little bit more about what's going on, but is it a crazy conversation or is it a conversation that's happening about maybe Cat's ability to build chemistry with other stars or solid players around him that also need possession of the ball? I mean, I I don't know. I think Cat has kind of become less of the focus of the Timberwolves over the past couple seasons since they've gotten Anthony Edwards. And now this last season, they've gotten Rudy Gobert. I mean, I this team is becoming less centralized around one player, I think. And if it does become centralized... I think it's most definitely about around Anthony Edwards. I think he is their face of the franchise. Not to say that Cat isn't. He's probably like the second man at this point. But, yeah, they really didn't do a good job of building around him. Like, they kind of built out and, like, built the lineup. But, like, he's just a part of it. Like, not necessarily him as the focal point. I mean, I think the Timberwolves have done a pretty good job building their team between Edwards, D'Angelo Russell, and then they have the two very tall guys in towns and, and gobert gobert is still really good defensively and on the glass i don't know i think I, I don't know the minnesota it's a very questionable team like a lot of teams in the western conference what you mentioned that kind of speaks to like maybe that speaks to cat's ability itself to maybe lead a team is it it might have took them uh, a few years to figure it out but they finally f- were like hey cat is not going to be the one to lead us 
I mean, definitely. I mean, I, I think you're right. Anthony Edwards is definitely their number one guy, if there was anyone. But I mean, you, you see that in the NBA, though. It's like you you get, you want at least this, you know, your go-to guy, the, the, dude, the guy who's going to get the ball at the end of the game. You, know, you can trust him with the big shot. And, you know, maybe even a couple of those guys. But you're, I think you're right. Cat definitely is maybe not the the cohesive leader you you want him to be but he's still like still a good part of that team and as you pointed out they've done a really good job of building that team around him I just as a fan that's what I always had a gripe with about Cat is that he couldn't be that leader and propel them to that next level just because he's everything that you want in the league right now he's a big that's athletic and can move while also being able to shoot from behind the arc like he poses a threat everywhere like I, when you say that out loud, that player should be unstoppable. It's like Giannis Antetokounmpo with a shot, which is something scary. But at the same time, I think, like you guys said, just what Minnesota earlier in his career did in surrounding him wasn't as effective. And then I think, you know, now I, I forgot they even picked up Gobert, but that makes that team uh, fundamentally sound. And yeah, no, pick, adding Gobert, a big like that, to the mix when Cat was traditionally that big, I think is going to be a bit of a dynamic shift in terms of uh, chemistry just because without or having another big in there allows cat to play his game on defense a little bit differently having another player to rely on so they're gonna figure out their pacing and whatnot throughout the year here no i think cat with having gobert obviously gobert is going to play the five or the center and then i think i think the four is power forward right Mm -hmm. um so yeah i think they moved cat there which is kind of, I don't know if it's necessarily better for him because he's a little slower on defense because he's played center most all of his career. So it's kind of harder to get. Like, he can absorb the bulk of a lot of the guys that he's going to be guarding, but I don't know if he's necessarily going to be able to keep up with the speed of some bigger-name power forwards like LeBron and other other big guys that can run the floor. At at the same time, though, what... Taking Cat out of that five spot, that might help him a little bit. It, it allows him to get around the floor more, not so much have to worry about just the other team's big men. Um, yes, so he doesn't have to go up. I mean, obviously, he's got Gobert there with him now, but he doesn't have to go up against, like, the Gobert's of the world, uh, Aiton, some of those other big guys. So maybe that could actually be better for him. I guess time will only tell. You know, we'll see, we'll see how, they, uh, how they do this season, but that, that could uh, open up the floor for Cat a little bit. Nah, just thinking about that. A team with um just two big or a team any team that doesn't have two bigs is gonna struggle against this Timberwolves team. Yeah, a team that I can definitely think of that is gonna struggle against the Timberwolves team would be the Golden State Warriors, who do not have an actual center and any bigs at all. But I think that's gonna wrap it us wrap it up here for this NBA segment in our time with Nate here. This has been the Double Double on KLJX LP Flagstaff. We will be back in just a moment. Welcome back to the Double Double on KLJX LP Flagstaff. I'm Evan McNeilia alongside Noah Butler. Joe Garner's with us here for this half hour as we dive into this week's NFL talk. Crazy week this last week in the NFL. Feels like there was a lot of action, and it feels like right now across the NFL that there's more parity than there's ever been while also more new talent and changing tides across the league this past thursday we'll start us off just quick here with our first game breakdown today but the ravens and buccaneers 
faced off on Thursday night football and the Ravens were able to figure it out getting a big win 27 to 22 over a Buccaneers team that has been slipping a little bit lately the Buccaneers are now three and five on the year kind of falling behind a little bit in that NFC South that's I mean looking like the NFC East a little bit which I will get into a little bit later I promise you but that being said um Noah Tom Brady struggles in this game a little bit is forced to throw the ball a ton and um just only one touchdown I know he puts up 300 yards but the offense just isn't that consistent and the Buccaneers aren't able to rally late what how are you feeling about this Buccaneers team? And do you think this win says anything for a Baltimore Ravens team on Thursday night football? You know, this Buccaneers team, this these past couple weeks has been reeling. And, and we've seen that firsthand. First, he lost to a rookie quarterback, something that hadn't been done in 22 games. Uh, and then he lost to P.J. Walker and the Panthers, who they haven't been that great, but they haven't been absolutely horrid recently you lose to those two teams and then you go against a pretty good Ravens squad I mean top of the NFC North or AFC North sorry um it, that's been kind of a weak division too like you were saying parity is definitely apparent here in the NFL but I mean th- I don't think this is really a statement win for the Ravens I mean they're just beating a team that's falling off the edge I mean Tampa Bay has the talent to do stuff but Tom Brady's tool to be doing this still i mean yeah brady's looking a little bit washed right now but maybe he'll be able to figure it out well i mean we'll see down the stretch of this season i mean you can never count him out until the very end but joe i mean what did you make of this thursday night football game and what do you think the buccaneers will have to do to try and figure it out and get back on track this season well one thing i do know is the buccaneers are a heavily injured team uh, they had they had a lot of missing players this week, so they first of all need to get healthy, and they need Tom Brady to start playing like he has been. I know he's 45, probably should be his last season, but he needs to start playing like we know we can, he can play. But it also doesn't mean a lot for the Ravens either. They've been starting slow, finishing slow. Uh, they've been uh, losing games that they have a big lead in, so the, both teams just have to start playing better. Yeah, I mean... Like you said, though, this is a Ravens team that has been playing really well. The Buccaneers only decided to run the ball 14 times and only got 44 yards out of it. Coincidentally, 44 is the same amount of passing attempts that they put Brady out there for on a short week on Thursday night. While we know he's been dealing with some stuff personally, so really just putting him out there and forcing him to carry the game in that situation, I feel like it could definitely be tough on him just as a person I mean as great as he has been throughout his NFL career he's never had to play navigating a divorce which is tough and as public as it's been recently with all the news around it and speculation and talk with how famous he and his wife former wife were (laughs) but that being said um the teams already don't want to run against the Ravens Leonard Fournette only had nine carries and he didn't get much off of it Then today, linebacker Roquan Smith is traded from the Chicago Bears to the Baltimore Ravens for a second and a fifth round pick. Currently leading the league in tackles, the, I mean, one of the best run-stopping linebackers in the game added to an already stacked unit, which is ranks top five in the NFL in rushing yards allowed. So 
Noah, how are we feeling about this? What's the Ravens' heat check right now? Now that they've added Roquan Smith to this defense, is this a team that is right up there in the Super Bowl conversation with the likes of the Bills and Chiefs this early in the season? Uh, to that, I'm going to say no. The Ravens' defense, it has been good at stopping the run, like you said. But if we look back to, other, to late game, the Ravens have not been able to play solid defense in late game. They've, I think through the first four weeks of the games, they blew leads at some point. And, I mean, they split the first, they split the first four games, but they did blow leads in three of those games. Uh, obviously, the one that didn't was to the Jets, but it's the Jets. Um, yeah, the Ravens, I mean, the Ravens' defense is really scary now, especially, especially with Roquan Smith, but not Super Bowl contenders because Lamar does not have weapons. Lamar is the running back, is the quarterback. There's no one to throw to. I mean, I feel you a little bit, but Joe, are, are you on the same page here? Do you think the Ravens still need more in order to get on the same page, or do you feel that right now with the way that Lamar's humming, the way this offense is going, and with the addition on defense, do you think that they are inserting themselves into that conversation? I 100% agree with Noah. Uh, their defense was scary before Roquan Smith, and even adding him, like, that, that adds to it a lot. But like Noah said, they need a weapon. Rashad Bateman just got hurt again, so he's out. Gonna, he's going to be out for a few weeks. After that, I, they have Devin Duvernay. I, I don't know who else he can throw to. And their running backs, they, they got Lamar, they have... Um, J.K. Dobbins, is he still healthy? Yeah, I think he's injured. Okay, so yeah. All his weapons are hurt, so they need a, a weapon. They need a wide receiver he can throw to that can consistently stay healthy and stay on the field with Lamar. And that way they could be a Super Bowl, Super Bowl contender if they just get everything all together in one fluid, good team game. I'm going to throw up another stupid question here just because I can. We There's... Talks around Kareem Hunt's usage so far this season with the Browns. I mean, it is the reason I call it a stupid question is because I'm about to ask if the Ravens should and could and would pursue Kareem Hunt in a trade opportunity, but obviously it's very tough to get teams to trade star players within divisions to teams. So, and I'm oh, Browns up currently right now, 32 to 13. One. Uh, oh, Browns won 32 to 13 tonight over the Bengals on Monday Night Football, a huge win. But like we said, Kareem Hunt, tra- possible trade target with his lack of use this year, with a uh, Nick Chubb getting all the weight. Um, do we think that? I mean, whichever one of you wants to take this, do we think that Kareem Hunt could land with the Ravens, and do you think he would help their situation right now? Uh, for one, I think, yes, he could help their situation, but I don't think the Browns will want to trade him to a division rival, and as good as a team they are, I don't think they're going to want to. And in the little uh, game I watched, or the small amount of the game I watched today, they did use Nick, not Nick Chubb, um, Kareem Hunt quite a bit. So I, I don't know if his usage is going up, but I don't think they'll, they'll trade him to the Ravens. No, I think I'm. I agree with you too. I mean, the trade deadline's tomorrow at like tomorrow afternoon. Three, I think. Three o'clock. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah, I wouldn't want to trade a pretty good running back to a division rival, especially if it's that that rivals the Ravens, and they're already at the top of the division. I don't think I'd want to help them out if I was reeling. I mean, the Browns are now solidly second to last in the AFC North. 
Um, but one target that I think the Ravens should get, Odell Beckham. He's been sitting in free agency this whole season. He's been waiting for teams to call his name, give him some money. I mean, yeah, I think that connection could be incredible. Lamar to OBJ, that that's something that I would have only seen in, like, Madden or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, Odell just working back from that ACL tear in the Super Bowl, so just whenever he gets healthy, you like to think that he's going to end up on – the field but at the same time I think Odell right now we're getting to that point in the season when injuries start to happen so maybe he could lure a little bit more money out of a team if they have a wide receiver go down need to pick up a target late but that being said if the Ravens feel like he could add to that offense make a bring them to that next level give them that target that they need why not pull the trigger and regardless of how much it costs to go out and get Odell you don't even have to trade for him because he's a free agent I'm sure I mean I'm sure him and Lamar Jackson would be a good connection and would be happy to play together. So I think that would be a really good matchup. But that being said, we're going to move on to the next game. Uh, Another, or yeah, another NFC South matchup. And what ended up being a battle for the division lead on Sunday, back and forth between the Panthers and Falcons. Falcons end up winning 37-34 in overtime off the foot of Young Wei Koo, who drilled a 41-yarder after... Poor, oh, poor Eddie Pinheiro. Two misses, one at the end of regulation on an extra point that was pushed back due to a personal foul penalty on the celebration by DJ Moore for taking off his helmet. Pushed him back on the extra point and misses it, which ties the game instead of going up 35-34 at the end. 34-34 overtime. And then an atrocious overtime period where neither offense could figure it out. And Eddie Pinheiro misses yet another field goal, which was... I, I think it might have been even a little bit easier than the extra point, and he just missed it, hooked it, and uh, yeah. Young Wei Koo goes back the other way, 41-yarder. That's a game, and Marcus Mariota, despite throwing two interceptions, figures it out. Where are we feeling on the NFC South? Is this the new NFC East of divisions? The Falcons are now in first place. The Buccaneers are tumbling. The Saints are mad inconsistent. But, I mean, it just it's given me 2016, 17, 18 NFC East vibes right now. I mean, heck, even last year in the NFC East. Um, yeah, no, this division is interesting. Every team is middling at best, even with all of the talent, that even the, all the stars that are in that division. There's stars in every division, but the, the NFC South is definitely pretty packed. Um, no, but going back to the DJ Moore touchdown, that was quite possibly one of the best Hail Mary plays I think I've seen. I mean, barring all of Aaron Rodgers' Hail Marys, that P.J. Walker to D.J. Moore, that that was just a crazy Hail Mary. And the celebration takes off his helmet, gets penalized. I still don't quite understand that rule. I know you can't use props. No, you just can't. You're not allowed to take off your helmet during your celebration. Which doesn't make any sense to me i know you have something but he wasn't on the field i saw a video he took his helmet off it's supposed it's only when he's on the field and in the video i saw he took his helmet off when he was off the field so technically i don't think it should have been called that's That's gonna be up for debate that's gonna Mm -hmm. be controversial within the nfc south community and obviously the panthers and falcons two very large fan bases down there so there's gonna be some tension the next time these teams meet for sure 
Now, if we look at the Falcons, I mean, they Mariota got stuff done in the passing game. I think it was 300 yards and three touchdowns for him on the day, which is by far his best passing game of the season. Um, he he, Kyle Pitts got some really good production this game, about 80 yards and a touchdown, I think, which is also by far Kyle Pitts' best game this season and probably one of the best of his career. And that's without the Falcons getting rookie wide receiver Drake London involved. As I was watching the game, he really couldn't get out of the coverage. The, he was in one-on-one -on -one coverage pretty much the entire game, and he couldn't really get out of that, I guess. I mean, in his defense, it feels like the Falcons don't really have that many other weapons this year, especially with um, the Calvin Ridley suspended for the season, which uh, we, we're not even going to get into that. But that, that being said, like... Drake London's the number one wide receiver on this team. He's a rookie out of USC, a weak defensive conference in college football, going against the number one, if not the number two, who is used to manning the number one wide receiver on his own. And he's dealing with either double coverage or the best corner the other team has to offer every time he's out on the field as a rookie. So I think... I think it's going to take some time. He's not going to have a lot of production early, but I think that work that he gets early can force him to elevate his game later in his career, but I definitely do think it could be a slower process just because of the lack of weapons that Atlanta really has around him. He's a one-wide receiver right out of college when I don't think that was the best situation for him. I think a guy like Jamison Williams could have possibly done it. I think there's some other guys in the draft that could have, but Drake London definitely was one of those more developmental products, and I, I think that's kind of what we're seeing here as he's going through the rookie, um, hey, rookie, welcome to the NFL moment. No, yeah, the, the Fal I mean, he's a developmental rookie on a developmental team, really. This Falcons team wasn't really supposed to be in this place, in this division, especially with having Tom Brady in your division. The Falcons are now at the top of the NFC South. That's just interesting to me. I don't know. No, agreed, it's very interesting but I mean the Panthers they were right there and they could have taken the lead and gone on and been in lead of the division there but unable to get it done but Deontay Foreman has really stepped up these last few weeks in response to the Christian McCaffrey um, departure to San Francisco which we're going to be hitting on shortly but that being said Foreman it's just a huge game, 26 carries, 118 yards, three touchdowns. I mean, it just popped off, and he continues to pop off for Carolina and just a bright spot for this season and maybe for their future if they want a running back that can kind of service them through the rebuilding years. And, yeah, I, I was lucky to start him on my fantasy team this year, too. <laughs> uh, this this week, I... Uh, Ooh. Oh, way to go. That I, I almost started Brian Robinson, who got me two points. I it, did start Brian Robinson. Ooh, it was <laughs> it was between those two and I, I chose right, obviously. Um especially with um Chuba Hubbard, who's also hurt. Um him coming in, scoring three touchdowns, like you said, uh he had a great game. PJ Walker, an XFL former XFL quarterback, who just won the starting job over Baker. Um the the Panthers they're starting to play really good football after the firing of Matt Rule, their head or their former head coach. Um, I don't know. I think the Panthers, uh, they're not they're not to a contending team yet, but they have a chance if they keep uh, playing competitive and playing the uh, how good they are. And but 
yeah, just kind of going to keep it moving here on to Steelers-Eagles, which was just a dominating performance in the battle for Pennsylvania. Always a matchup. There's always a little bit going into that matchup because it feels like the fans, they, they, they get it. It's the Western Pennsylvania against Eastern Pennsylvania. It's a heated rivalry. But that being said, the Steelers obviously in a little bit more hurt this year as opposed to the Eagles coming into this game. A little bit more banged up rookie quarterback while the Eagles are still, and still, the only undefeated team in the NFL after a resounding win, Jalen Hurts continues to impress with four touchdowns. It's, I mean, it's the name of your fantasy team, Noah, Jalen Hurts season, but it's starting to really feel like Jalen Hurts MVP season possibly this year as he continues to keep this Eagles team going. I have a hot take on this Eagles team, which I'll get to in a minute here with y'all. But that being said, A.J. Brown proving to be a great addition. And remember, just one first-round pick that they had to give up for him, which the Titans used on Traylon Burks, who has still yet to impress or do really anything. A.J. Brown, six receptions, 156 yards. Another player with three touchdowns in their game, along with Deontay Foreman. Huge receiving day, proving that he is the target that the Eagles thought he could be. And just, how about these Eagles, man? I mean, yeah, the Eagles are dominant, um, but what is the schedule they're going against? I feel like you're going to say something about this in a bit. Yeah. They're undefeated, but what's the schedule they've been playing? The Steelers team is awful. They're on, like, fifth and sixth string cornerbacks. Granted, Terrell, or, yeah, Terrell Edmonds and Minka were double-teaming A.J. Brown the whole game pretty much, and he still had that many yards. I find that insane. I think that's more of a testament to Brown than Hurts in that sense, but it's still Hurts MVP season, in my opinion. Even though the Steelers got smacked, bottom of the division, lottery team. Well, it's not the NBA, but still. Top 10 picks. Yeah. Steelers are rough, and, I mean, those Steelers DBs made A.J. Brown look like 6'6". Calvin Johnson Jr., Megatron with the... Detroit Lions the way he was mossing those defensive backs but that being said Joe what do you think of this Eagles team do you think that they're I mean obviously the last undefeated team in the NFL Noah mentions their schedule a little bit which is I mean a little bit here and there I mean not the strongest but they found out a way to get resounding wins in each of their games what do you make of this game in for Pittsburgh is it uh panic time are they in danger of possibly facing their first losing season under head coach Mike Tomlin you know I think it's getting really close to panic season for the Steelers Mike Tomlin like you said hasn't had a losing season in I think 14 14 years uh I think it's it's getting close to that because I they're two and six two and six okay they're two and six um well the Eagles as good as they are they also have had quite an easy schedule, I'd say. Uh, I'm not, no disrespect to the Eagles, they're playing well. A.J. Brown is finally out of the AFC South. Um, I don't know, they're, they're playing great. They're, they're picking up great players, CGGJ, or CJGJ. Uh, they just traded for, um, not Roe Quinn, what's his name? B, uh, Bears. Um, uh, Robert Quinn. Yeah, Robert, Robert Quinn. Quinn. Uh, for like a fifth round pick or a fourth round pick, sorry. Uh, they they're just making the right move, the right moves. They're playing great ball. They're the Eagles look legit with as easy of a schedule they have coming up. 
Yeah, and I mean, CJGJ, like you mentioned, currently leading the NFL in interceptions, his first season lining up back at safety as opposed to his normal corner spot where he lined up with his Saints. Pryor finished the game this last week with eight tackles, a sack, a tackle for loss, a pass defense, and an interception. So just absolutely dominant this season. He's been everywhere for this Eagles defense, and it feels like they have all the right pieces. And now I'm just going to say it to go for the 17-0 undefeated season. With their remaining schedule breaks down like this. Next week, they have the Texans, then the Commanders, Colts, Packers, Titans, Giants, Bears, Cowboys, Saints, before closing out the season with the Giants. I don't know if there's a team on this schedule that can beat this Eagles team. It's going to require them to stay healthy because I think this team is one player down from being able to close up some of these weapons and yeah, Jalen Hurts being hurt away from the season being over. But that being said, there's no reason that this team can't go 17-0. And that's absolutely wild to say. I mean, there's some tough games in there. Assuming the Packers are going to figure it out eventually. Aaron Rodgers is going to put up a fight against this team, though I think the Eagles will figure that one out. The Titans will be a fight. They always are tough late in seasons. They're a very well-coached team. And down the stretch of last season, we saw as they had 92, I think, players play for them in an NFL record while also putting up the best record in the AFC, they're always going to be a threat. Uh, the Giants, they have to play twice, and the Cowboys once, who I, I... All tough teams. The Cowboys are a threat. The This year, the NFC East has been a bit of a toss-up, and I think the Giants or Cowboys could steal a win against this team to ruin the perfect season in a division... <laughs> in a divisional game, especially on the road, because these NFC East crowds, you know, some of the most rowdy amongst the NFL fan bases. But that being said, I really do think the Eagles have what it takes to go 17 and 0. And out like, it's not even like a maybe. Like, it's not even like I think they could. It's like, yeah, right now I think the Eagles are finishing the season 17 and 0. And that's like my actual take with 10 games remaining in their schedule. 10 games to go. I mean, that's a long ways to go. Yeah. That Yeah. I, yeah, like you said, Giants and Cowboys are really probably the only teams that can usurp them. Probably. Arguably the Titans. Yeah, I think actually, no, I think the Titans are probably the best team. Like, the Cowboys and Giants, yeah, because they play the Giants twice, and that team's going to want to win the second game if they lose. But the Titans, that's kind of a random off game for the I mean, they're playing the AFC South intra division, but I don't know. If they can stop the run, then they can go 17-0 easily. Like, Derrick Henry, if they stop Derrick Henry in that Titans game, then I think they're gone for it. I mean, of course, if they are able to pull off the undefeated season, they'll be one of the teams looking to compete for that championship, and I think that they definitely are one of the top teams, and right now my top team to compete on that NFC side. But looking at the team that was represented the NFC last year and has won the Super Bowl but has struggled out of the gate so far this year, losing losing to divisional rival the San Francisco 49ers 31-14, to just a huge loss for that, or a huge loss for the Rams now really reeling in the NFC West division as they struggle to figure out offensively. Noah, I know you're excited to get into this one. What did you make of the, I mean, 
arguably it was the most interesting matchup on paper the way these two matchups went last year with the first round of the wild card and the week 18 game which saw the 49ers steal a win in LA to make the playoffs what did you make of uh their first meeting this season Christian McCaffrey this is yeah Christian McCaffrey legacy game first player since 2005 Ladanian Tomlinson to the goat for a triple crown and a triple crown for those who don't know is a passing touchdown a receiving touchdown and a rushing touchdown he did that in his second game as a 49er and the passing touchdown wasn't just like a Philly special five yard out it was a 32 yard dot to Brandon Ayuk what like that I'm still watching that game yesterday it was just spectacular I mean Christian McCaffrey is the player that we know him to be. We didn't really get to see a whole lot of that in Carolina, but he's with a good team now and a team that has honestly dominated the Rams the last couple seasons. I, yeah, I feel like the 49ers were that one team that was in a situation like the Baltimore Ravens where they were just one weapon away from really breaking things loose. They needed either one true wide receiver or just someone that could take a little bit of weight off of Debo Samuel's shoulders. That being said, they go after that trade, get Christian McCaffrey from the Panthers for, I mean, what after one game has to already be feeling like a King's Ransom. Just, I mean, an impressive performance. You know, they get it to him on a toss play and he was able to fire at 30, like you said, 34 yards downfield for a touchdown against tough coverage tough like he that wasn't like that's a tough team you're facing in the rams that's a divisional rival and they got it done and then you know obviously gets it done on the ground has a huge day there gets it done in the receiving game like there's nothing this guy can't do and add him to the mix with jeff wilson who's still super fast and electric back out of the backfield debo samuel like we said who can also take carries as well as play in the receiving game which also Jeff Wilson can do well they this team is just full of runner wide receivers so there's really no there's an infinite number of ways the offense can distribute the ball to everyone so it really makes them dangerous and I think McCaffrey is probably the best way like even better than Debo Samuel good like Christian McCaffrey is that level of player so to add him to the mix is only going to elevate their game that much they drew up what they drew in this past week in 10 days with Christian McCaffrey I'm excited to see what they do with him over the course of his career this is the move for Christian McCaffrey's career it's going to define his career and I think that you know obviously playing with the son of who coached his father being Mike Shanahan coached him with Denver obviously Kyle Shanahan now coaching the San Francisco 49ers with Christian McCaffrey playing but just huge performance and I I mean I can't be more excited to see what this guy can do in a 49ers uniform and the the best thing about it I'm pretty sure Debo was hurt that game so I don't even think he played no no so what that makes the the throw even better to Brandon IU because most likely all-pro corner Jalen Ramsey was on him too, which, oh, I love Jalen, but that, just a beautiful throw. And um, like I said last week, I don't know my exact words, but I, I was talking about McCaffrey and how he was with the team for two days and how he didn't do much. But 10 days later, he's yeah. looking like old Christian McCaffrey who had the, that 2,000 or 1,000 receiving, 1,000 uh, rushing yard uh, season. Uh, Christian McCaffrey's back. He's looking amazing. 
the 49ers, like you said, one weapon away, and now they have it, and I don't see them slowing down. Yeah, and the 49ers, definitely a team that needed to find itself and re-up itself to get back to that championship where they lost to the Chiefs, obviously, a handful of years ago in uh, Super Bowl 54, but now... I think with added weapons, Jimmy Garoppolo playing decent again, I think he can keep playing mediocre and they're going to be a good team just because of the defense and, I mean, the playmakers that they have. But that being said, to get to our final game of the night, the Packers and the Bills on Sunday night football. The Bills put up a huge first half and the Packers can't, don't really, didn't really have a chance to get anything going back in the second half. I mean, Obviously, they tried their best comeback efforts, but this offense isn't anywhere consistent enough to string together a 28-point half, and the Packers fall to 3-5, and five, the most losses that they've had under Matt LaFleur, and are off to their worst start since, I think, 2006, which is just, I mean, rough for Green Bay. I mean, 2006, this is before Aaron Rodgers took over, I believe, that was the season after they drafted him while Brett Favre was still with the team. Off the top of my head, I think they finished that season with 3-13, and 4-12, and 12, right around that mark. But still, just not, not a situation the Packers wanted to find themselves in at this point in the year. And now, left reeling as the Buffalo Bills. I mean, they faltered a little bit against the Packers team that's been struggling. But that being said, they're still hot. <laughs> still the top team in the AFC. And honestly still my Super Bowl favorite but Noah what do you think uh what do you think this Buffalo team needs to do to keep it rolling and does a Sunday night loss to a team coming off a bye for the Packers mean much and is I mean we've talked about it being panic time for them we've talked about it being you know them needing to add weapons to help Aaron is it is this the final breaking point where the Packers need to make a move or figure out something before the trade deadline tomorrow to rewrite the ship this season. I don't know if there's anything that do the pack the Packers can do to rewrite the ship. Again, another weapon, maybe Odell. Odell could help a lot of teams around the league who are reeling with wide receivers. But even when the Packers get a weapon back, their second round pick Christian Watson, he almost breaks his neck on like the third play the on his third play from scrimmage and goes out with a concussion like they get a weapon they lose a weapon that's what it seems like it is for the Packers this season yeah I mean they're running backs Aaron Jones has been having a pretty solid season Dylan's been all right as his backup but I think they really need to figure out their ground game more like if I know that's not what Aaron Rodgers wants but at this point in his career he can still lob the ball but they, they need something. They need to get that run game going, especially with the talent they have. Because Dylan is a power back, and Jones can play receiver or out of the backfield or something. The Packers just need to figure it out, I think. Like, I don't know. That's my one issue is that it felt like this week they really did figure out a way to get it going on the ground with, I mean, Aaron Jones having his best game of the season with 143 yards and Dylan with 54 but, the, again, it's just the offense can't move consistent, consistently without the offense or receiving weapons that it's had in the past, losing MVS and Devontae in the same season, offseason, that is. But Packers, 6 of 12 on third down and 0 for 2 on fourth down. Just a tough look. Joe, where do you stand on the Bills? Are they favorites still? Are they rolling hot? Are they going to be fine coming out of this bind going through the rest of the season? And are the Packers just done? 
Uh, well, I wouldn't say the Bills are the favorite yet. I know they beat the Chiefs, but it's, it's still going to be a really tight, contested battle between those two teams for the top seed and for the, just throughout the playoffs. Um, Stephon Diggs, Josh Allen, their defense is all amazing, but the Packers... They need to get it together. They need to. They need to be. They need to become a rushing team for this season at least. Uh, they don't have a weapon. They could sign OBJ, trade for I don't know Chris or uh, what's his name? Oh my gosh, Steelers. What's his name? Clay, Chase Claypool. Yeah, Chase Claypool. Sorry. They they could trade for him. I don't, I don't know. I think this season might be done for them, especially with the Vikings six and one now. It'll. It's going to be hard for them to crawl themselves out of this hole. Yeah, it's definitely tough. But to go back on what Noah was talking about a second ago with uh, OBJ, and we brought it up earlier as well. I just, after watching what he did with the Rams last year and helping them towards their championship, it's just so weird. There's so many teams right now where I feel like we're all a little bit hesitant to declare our favorites because it feels like, which it, it almost feels like, Odell Beckham Jr. is that golden ticket to the Super Bowl for whichever team ends up getting him. It feels like it feels like any team that you talk about, any team that's good or near that top, it feels like, oh yeah, they're good. They could definitely make the Super Bowl, but you know what could definitely get them there? Odell Beckham Jr. And I think it's so crazy that we have a player that it's just one guy. And he's like this magical, oh, yeah, they get him. They're going to be in the Super Bowl. They got the chance. That's their golden ticket to go. So it's almost like an Odell Beckham sweepstakes at this point. It just, I mean, I don't think I've ever seen anything with one player, especially at the wide receiver position midseason before. Well, one team that is at the top that's kind of maybe a piece away that does not need Odell Beckham is the Chiefs. They have the infinity <laughs> gauntlet of wide receivers, I, I swear. Juju, MVS, Kadarius Tony now, who should be coming back pretty soon now that he's not on the Giants and doesn't not want to play in New York. And doesn't hate his quarterback. And doesn't hate his quarterback. I would probably hate Daniel Jones, too. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see, Juju, MVS. Travis. Travis Kelsey. Kelsey. <laughs> pretty, yeah, he's pretty much a receiver. Mikkel Hardman. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I forget Mikkel Hardman's still on that roster. No, uh, that's yeah. a... Even though they're running oh, back. Byron, oh, no, Byron Pringle's in Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, but the Chiefs, they, they have everybody. They don't need anybody else. The Chiefs just need to keep being the Chiefs. I would say the Bills, arguably, too, don't need OBJ. No, I don't think so either. Because they got Stefan Diggs. They have Gabe Davis. Shakir. They, uh, yeah. Uh, Khalil Shakir. Khalil Shakir. Uh, Dawson Knox. They, I don't think they need him as much as Dawson's been up and down, but I, I don't think the Bills either uh, need him as well. No, nah, it feels like, like other than those two teams, though, it feels like any team you talk about, and I'll, I'll even throw the Eagles up there just as a team that's loaded with receiver talent right now between Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown. I don't know if they have space for Odell Beckham Jr. in that mix, but that being said, it feels like any other team can immediately put themselves in that con conversation with that edition but that being said that'll wrap it up for our nfl segment tonight we'd like to thank joe garner so much for coming on we'll be back on the other side to wrap up tonight's show you're listening to the double double on kljx lp flagstaff welcome back to the double double on kljx lp flagstaff i'm your host noah butler here with evan mcnelia sadly all our guests are gone thank you guys again but we're gonna get going here with the real life example my real life example tonight it's Halloween, you know, lots of spooky monsters, 
lots of scary things, you know. Um, but you know how we were talking about Tampa Bay earlier and how their quarterback is 45, Mr. Tom Brady? I liken Tom Brady, I don't like Tom Brady, but I liken him to a vampire, you know? Vampires live for a very long time if they're in a secluded environment and they don't get injured a lot like Tom Brady has. Um, Tom Brady's had a very long career, 23 seasons. However, he is seeing the light now. As you know, vampires die under the light. Um, Tom Brady's offensive line is not really holding up as much as it used to. He is now actually the most sacked quarterback in NFL history, which obviously comes with him playing 23 seasons, but it's gotten a lot more after these, pa- after these past couple seasons. I mean, he passed Ben Roethlisberger, who played a couple less seasons than him, but yeah, I mean, Tom Brady is starting to see the light of day, and I think his career should be at an end at the end of the season. He played in New England. Now, this is a bit of a stretch in relation to a vampire, but I, I, I felt like New England is a hot spot of monsters and, like, ghost stories and stuff. And H.P. Lovecraft, a famous horror author who created the Cthulhu mythos, was based in New England. What, so a lot of his stories were in and around Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and, you know, Tom played there for 23 seasons. So monsters, vampires, Tom Brady, I mean, it's all scary stuff. Um... Like I said, he doesn't really seem to want to die. I don't think any vampire really wants to die. <laughs> and in this case, Tom Brady would retire, meaning, yeah, his career would be done. Um, I assume at least one vampire in history has gone through a marriage, and so is Tom Brady now um, with his recent divorce. Tom Brady does like the color red. His teams have, had all, have all had red in in some fashion. I mean, that's still a bit of a stretch, but Tampa Bay is definitely more red-based than the Patriots. And vampires, you know, they, they like blood, which is red. Um, Tom Brady thought he was immortal, thought the refs were on his side for a lot of his career, which is probably true. A lot of holding calls on that offensive line. But now he's like the most sacked quarterback, like I was saying. Um, and these recent struggles, these recent struggles against Pickett, and against P.J. Walker, that was kind of like, you know, the garlic. Because garlic, vampires are weak to garlic. And I felt as if those two losses are really the signal that Tom Brady needs to see that his career's done. I mean, yeah, and in this last game against the Ravens, it, it's kind of the beginning of putting the stake in Tom, poor Tom Brady's career. That's what I think, at least. No, definitely. I think that... Tom Brady is definitely the vampire of the NFL. I mean, no one looks that much better as they get older, looks that much more perfect, can, I mean, just keep his complexion looking as young as ever. It's almost like he does have that immortality going for him. You know, he often does best when alone, you know, as a vampire, which begs the question to me, Now that the divorce is final, now that he has his coffin to himself, now that he gets the sleep sound and um, gets the nights to himself to get to his craft and focus on his work, and is he going to be drawing more blood from the NFL come this postseason? With a vengeance on his mind, with maybe even 
some reconfigurations on the offensive line, figuring out some more weapons. Maybe Brady ends up with the one with OBJ that we were talking about earlier. Is he the one that's able to attack and get back and replenish himself and grow back to the monster that he served as the NFL for the last 20-plus years? No. No. I think Tom Brady is done after this season. I know he said he wants to go to 50 years old, but no. I, I think... I think Tom's time is done. We're seeing a lot. Young, he has not been the best quarterback the past three, five seasons. That has been the title of Patrick Mahomes, Lamar, Josh Allen, heck, Aaron Rodgers, even though he's almost just as old as Tom Brady. But Tom Brady's not the best quarterback. He has receivers, which he's always had. He, yeah, he's had every single receiver you can probably name. <laughs> but... No, I think his season's done after this. Especially if the Buccaneers are going the way they're going. No, I think I think Tom Brady's over. You don't think that he'll go to bed in his coffin postseason. He'll realize that the garlic around him was allowed in by the hurt offensive line, his hurt protectors around him that he was supposed to rely upon in this final campaign. But now going forward... With added protection next season, could he be back to return in his role to haunt these NFL teams? He lost to Kenny Pickett. I don't think there's two quarterbacks that can say that they've lost to Kenny Pickett and the Steelers. Well, Kenny Pickett didn't play week one, but the Steelers. Two teams that can say that. The Buccaneers and the Bengals. And when you lose to P.J. Walker as well, that's also another nail in that proverbial coffin. I, I don't know. If they can get a revamped offensive line, if Tristan Wirfs can play like Tristan Wirfs can, there is some hope. But in all my life, I, I don't think I've ever held out hope for Tom Brady. Yeah, but 3-5 and five now. I mean, if what you say is true, 3-5, and five, going out the rest of the season could be quite dramatic, especially as the Buccaneers, if they continue to falter as... I mean, it doesn't appear their schedule looks any easier with the Rams, Seahawks, Browns on the horizon with the Saints following that, as we have know the struggles they've had against them. Before the 49ers, Bengals, Cardinals, and then Panthers and Falcons round out the season with NFC South battles. Go into that last Falcons game, assuming the Buccaneers falter and struggle throughout the season and fall behind, which they very much could over this next stretch with a... Bit of a tough lineup. Um, some middle-of-the-pack teams, obviously, we talked about the Rams struggling. But that being said, that final week against the Falcons, do you remember a couple weeks ago what the NFL was up in arms about? Late in a game in which the Falcons were very tight on the Buccaneers' trail, Grady Jarrett, defensive lineman for the Falcons, gets penalized with an egregious roughing the passer call. There was not a chance on any planet or in any fan's mind that that it was a roughing call on the quarterback. Grady Jarrett did as much as he could on the play as a defensive player to avoid drawing the penalty, but still old man Tom, in his decrippled way, draws the sympathy of the ref, who probably has knees that feel similar to Tom's. And it screws the Falcons out of the game as um, the Buccaneers go down to finish that drive and run out the clock and the Falcons don't have enough time to really offer a rebuttal. That being said, week seven or week 18 with the 17 game schedule, the Falcons will have another shot at Tom. 
and Grady Jarrett, vampire hunter, will emerge with his stake out of his black trench coat and slay Tom Brady one final time, sending him down and laying his t career to rest in its lonely, lonely coffin alone with no wife, no Giselle, no kids. Well. To be forever immortalized as the winningest quarterback to have nothing remaining. <laughs> that being said, I do think that it's give or take this year. I think there's a chance that Tom could turn it around. I think that there's a chance that the Buccaneers figure it out. I don't think that they're for sure going to just go out this way and lay down and secede. But that being said, there is more of a chance than ever that Tom Brady will be last remembered as a loser in a Buccaneers jersey. I mean, yeah. Yep. Tom Brady. Loser. Wow, that's some. <laughs> wow. Um, also, another vampire comparison going to the refs and how the refs are the blood that he's been feasting off. That's why he's still in the league. <laughs> ah, the benefit of the tuck rule back in the day, oh, all the way goodness. to Jesse James catch. The passer calls. I mean, there's no shortage of help that the Patriots and Tom have gotten. I mean, you could point that out, but of course Patriots fans are going to fire back, and of course they are going to blame the team that has won everything for the calls that they've had against them. But that being said, yeah, no. Tom Brady is very much in a turning point of his career, and whether or not he's able to keep pace with his victims will determine, I think, how he ends up being remembered for his complete NFL legacy just because of how dramatic the decision to come back and not go into retirement was as opposed to, I mean, he had announced his, or sorry, Adam Schefter had announced his retirement. <laughs> I mean, are we sure Giselle didn't leak that originally at this point? Who knows? Well, I think that's going to do it for us here for our real-life example. Um, thank you, Evan, for listening to my rant about Tom Brady. The only one that will ever happen. And the scariest monster that we'll ever find to have terrorized the NFL scene for so long. But how about that? Kenny Pickett, get into down the beast. Yeah. So now let's move to Boomer Bust. This is a section where Evan and I will look at topics that we've picked out for the week and either boom on them, meaning they're going high, or bust on them, meaning they're at a flat line or they're dropping off the face of the planet. Our first topic today. I'm going to get us rolling with you this got one. It? You got it. I'm just, he, and I put this on here. I don't, I, I expect us both to bust this or maybe you'll boom yeah, the ahead. idea, but baseball not playing in weather. Obviously, tonight's World Series game postponed due to inclement weather, being rain, wind, whatever it be. But that being said, there's not many sports that give in to weather that often. It's usually lightning and lightning alone that calls the day on um, at least football games being said. And, you know, I think it would be so much more entertaining if baseball players were forced to fare the weather conditions. Yeah, eighth inning and it starts raining, it's going to become a lot harder for that pitcher to find the strike zone <laughs> through the thunderstorm. Or, I mean, obviously, no. You get the idea. No, get but that being said, like I just think that it could add a new element to baseball that makes it more exciting when baseball is a pretty boring game. I get the issues that it may cause with the infield dirt and whatnot, but... 
figure it out. It's 2022. You can't run in dirt in some in a sport. Like you can't figure out how to do that. I don't know. Just the the World Series should not be being affected by rain. That that, that is my take here. All right. So I'm assuming you're gonna you're gonna say bust on this, right? I'm gonna say bust on baseball canceling yeah. for weather. Just it's horrible. It's stupid. Baseball would be an exciting game if forced to fare the conditions. I'm gonna say bust as well entirely. Like the ALCS, especially on the American League side. There, I mean, there's not really much else I can say. I mean, moved it around a ton. Moved around the a lot of the Yankees and Guardians series, which really, really derailed both teams honestly yeah no they it's awful and especially when the Yankees went to Houston and had closed conditions the Astros were able to just play because obviously it's their home stadium but still there's no wind so they don't ever have to worry about those conditions and when you're an outside team you have to worry about those conditions all the time that's kind of like advan that's advantageous in terms of building the stadium Especially when weather's a factor, because it rains a lot in New York, and a lot of New York games have been postponed. Yeah, I mean, and I mean, I don't want to get into a climate change conversation, but as weather seems to exactly. pop up more often and affect affect events, if you're not going to build indoor stadiums, play through weather, play yeah. through some conditions, make it exciting. That becomes part of an event if it's incorporated in. I covered NAU. NAU's football pro day last year which was snowed out by a blizzard before running the 40 yard dash they had most of the athletic staff paving lanes out in the blizzard so that runners would have a lane to run their 40 yard dashes in and I mean I'm not saying that this to compare obviously a 40 yard dash for a tryout it hails in comparison to a world series game but at the same time build indoor stadiums or figure out a way to deal with weather yeah, so we're both going to bust on that. Um, next, the next topic I'm going to go, we're going to go to back to New York and Brooklyn. The Brooklyn Nets. The Brooklyn Nets. This team heralded by Kevin Durant, one of the best players in the world, and Uncle Drew, Kyrie Irving, who's had a lot of controversy over the last couple of years being in New York between the COVID things and now with him promoting this anti-semitism i mean i don't know kyrie irving is a very i don't know very controversial player recently if cte is contagious i think the entire brooklyn nets organization has it i just i don't know what's going on with kyrie he's been off the rails for the last few years and it's really just been a distraction to that team however (laughs) i know what you're probably thinking here but i'm gonna say Everything that Kyrie's going to go through, even if he gets suspended, I think whichever way, if he's playing on the court with Brooklyn or if he's sent away from the locker room and kept away from the team, the Brooklyn Nets themselves are going to figure it out this season. They have too much talent around. Claxton has been stepping up big time. KD is back on his normal gain near the top of the league in all statistical categories. It's just, this is a team that has had championship aspirations since bringing in Kevin Durant and they really haven't gotten there. I think that they might have the weight this season to pull their own in the East and get it done. It may require Kyrie or Kyrie to be sent away, but either way, I think the Brooklyn Nets as a whole are a boom as embarrassing as Kyrie's antics may be. I'm, I'm going to contradict you a little bit on this. I mean, the Nets are two and five, which obviously like we were saying in the NBA segment, it's early in the season. 
and they have star power in Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. So, I don't know. It's it's an interesting team. The, I'm kind of dead middle about it at the moment. I mean, I probably as I talk it through, I'll get through it. Like, tonight uh, against the Pacers, the Nets won 116 to 109. Against a Pacers team, that's not really supposed to be that great. Um, the Nets blew a 24-point lead, and the, the Pacers got within five. Um, Kevin Durant, with his most complete game of the season, 36-9-7. and I mean, that's, that's a Kevin Durant performance. And Kyrie Irving in 42 minutes with 28-6-6 and, and four steals to that total. I mean, talent-wise, I'm going to boom on the Nets. But culture-wise and coaching-wise, they, I think there needs to be a desperate change there. Not maybe, maybe Steve Nash loses job <laughs> midseason. I don't know. I'm kind of leaning towards that over the way things have gone with how they've handled things in the Nets organization. But in terms of culture, that team literally has no culture and no set guidelines or how to like be a personable basketball team. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna go halfway. I'm gonna bust on like culture and coaching and that half of the organization. But in terms of actually playing basketball, I'm gonna boom on the Brooklyn Nets. All right, all right. Well, I think what will be our final boomer bust tonight, and we'll go over it quickly, Browns getting it done in the AFC North over the Bengals. Joe Burrow struggled without Jamar Chase. I'm not sure off the top of my head how much time Chase will be missing, but now the Browns kind of surging. They're going to get Deshaun Watson back in a few weeks, as controversial as that may be as well. But that being said, Cleveland Browns right now getting a big win in the AFC North over a division rival. Rush game seems to be going. Chubb's a beast. Well, where are we lean in on this Cleveland Browns team going forward the rest of the season? I am not high on the Cleveland Browns, and I know we don't like to talk about the Cleveland Browns because it's the Cleveland Browns. Um, but, yeah, no, they can run the ball, most definitely. Nick Chubb, 23 carries, 101 yards, and two tutties. That is a true workhorse running back if I've ever seen one. Um, yeah, they still don't. I mean, Jacoby Brissett had arguably one of his better games of the season today against a divisional opponent in the Bengals who also represented the AFC last year in the Super Bowl. But the Bengals, I don't know what the Bengals are doing. They've lost to the two worst teams in their division this season. I mean, yeah, the yeah. Bengals. Interesting. I have a stigma against AFC North football. I don't take it too seriously, but I will say bust on the Browns going forward. I think it was a fluke game. I think AFC North games are tough, and I think Cleveland is going to falter going forward. No, I totally agree with you on uh, busting on the Browns. Um, but yeah. that being said, that will wrap up tonight's episode of the Double Double on KLJX LP Flagstaff. For Noah Butler, I'm Evan McNeely. We'd like to thank our guests, Joe Gardner and Nathan Ecker, for coming on and talking some sports with us. Uh, we'll be back next week, same time, with some NASCAR talk following next week's championship weekend, which some of us folk in the NAEU MIC Sports Media Program will be going down to cover, so we'll have some breakdown of that on next week's show, along with some hockey talk with Tony Braca. Looking forward to that. Tune in next week. Thanks for listening. Happy Halloween!